Good morning, everyone. I'm going to bring my water this time. I don't know if anyone else has had like seasonal allergies, colds, and things, but I've been struggling for a bit. What is that noise? It's my halo slipped. It's the sound of a halo. You couldn't see it. Exactly. We follow Jesus, but we do so imperfectly. Amen, Art. Um, so we're starting a new series today, as Josh mentioned. We just finished the Gospel of Mark, which we began in January 2021, and last week we did a little uh, wrap-up of that. I hope that was a, a helpful exploration. It came from our conviction that in these days, these times, as in all human circumstances, the greatest thing we can ever do is have a, a, a deeper, fuller understanding of who Jesus is for us. Not just was, not will be necessarily just that, but is. Uh, so... Thinking about what we do next, uh, I don't know about you, but whether you're new to church, Christianity, uh, or whether you've been in it for a long time, I think sometimes it's really helpful to just think about, reflect on why we do what we do when we get together. Because I think it's really important because sometimes we can forget about the purpose and, and get stuck in the, just the doing, you know, week after week. Uh, or it's just confusing. You know, you come in and you're like, why do these people do these particular things? And there's such a, a, a beautiful story involved in all that we do, which I think can lead us uh, in the midst of our doing to a, a more full experience uh, that welcomes God and one another into a communal participation in, in all that we do together. Uh, so it's kind of stuff Christians do. What do Christians do? Uh, we call it, why do we blank? And I love this graphic. Justin Allen, I just want to say again, Justin Allen, he makes beautiful images. Beauty's important. So thank you, Justin, for all your work on your stuff, you know. Um, we are asking that question. Why do we gather? Why do we sing? Why do we pray? Why do we teach and preach? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we take communion? Why do we baptize? How do we get to this range of, and there are many more, there are many things that Christians do. But how do we get to the range of activities that we see in what we call Christian worship gatherings? Well, firstly, some of these things that we do are common, actually, to many spiritual traditions around the world and throughout history. They're so very human, many of these things. And singing, let's just take singing, for example. I don't know if you all enjoy singing, but there's something uniquely profound about the act of taking the spoken word and putting it to music and it engages our whole bodies, even rhythm, dance, melody. And when you connect that with poetic statements about important things or, or sublime things, mysterious things, painful things, joyful things, it's a deeply spiritual act. And there's, I don't know if there's any spiritual tradition in the world that does not use song in some way. Baptism is actually something that's common to various traditions. Uh, Judaism had uh, baptism. Our faith comes out of Judaism. Uh, the Sikh, uh, Sikh religion, they practice baptism. What about prayer? I think prayer is, is a common human experience. I mean, I've even known self-proclaimed atheists who, even though they would push to admit it, would admit that at times of high crisis in their life or stress, they find themselves expressing something to an unknown someone or something that is in some form prayer. 
What about a text? Like we have the Bible, a text. I think texts are common. There are many religious books, and, and people seek answers. We're looking for, and like the song said, you're a good, good father. You know, I've seen many people searching for answers. And religious seekers have always found common benefit in these activities. Secondly, they are actually an inheritance, many of them, from our common Jewish heritage, our story. And meetings, beginning with the tabernacle and the temple and then into synagogues and into homes and churches and cathedrals. There's a common idea and a concept of a community gathering together. Baptism, as I said, John the Baptist was not the first, or John the Baptizer was not the first who baptized. There were Jewish religious ceremonies involving baptism. Music, the Psalms, the Psalms are the songbook of the people of God. And they were originally to be sung as worship. Common meals, eating together, it's not just for Baptists, potlucks, right? People uh, have always found, and, and the Jewish people for sure, have all of these meals that not only are, are part of just the common life of their society, but were actually part of their worship experience and rhythms. Uh, a text that's common from the, the Torah, the Old Testament. Uh, the Muslims actually, Muslim people have, uh, through history have referred to Jews and Christians as people of the book. Perhaps where some of this stuff comes from is the Bible itself, this text that we, that we speak from and we share and we study. Uh, the Gospels, there's a, a, an important place, the, the words that are reported to be said by Jesus and the things that he did, the, the ways he interacted, what did he do as a worshiper of God the Father? And then we go into the New Testament further and we see the followers of Jesus who wrote and taught early church communities about what would comprise their lives. The New Testament letters and epistles and the sermons in the New Testament. So the church has always generally sought to look to the Bible for cues and instructions of what it means to be a Christian. What this is about and what it is therefore that we will do together. And pretty much the clearest writing, you'll be very familiar with this, I'm sure, the clearest writing in the New Testament we have about what the early Christian community did together is, called, is found in uh, the book of Acts, sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. The story of after Jesus had left, of the Spirit coming and the church being born, and then this missionary enterprise as Jesus continues to do through the church what he's been doing on the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, here's what we hear. A very concise and beautifully worded expression and description of what these people were doing together. What, why do we do what we do and what do Christians do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to every, anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Is this familiar to you? You notice some of the things already making connections with the things that we do are, are, are maybe drawn from this. What activities did they do? Well, there was teaching, there was fellowship. There were works of power. There was something happening that was supernatural in their midst. There was organization and systems. 
there was economics, and it was an economics of generosity and compassion. There was worship together. There was meals together, communion, prayer and praise, mission and evangelization. So we can see how, how we are drawing from the New Testament these ideas about what it is that we should be doing uh, in our daily lives. But there's something I would like us to consider as we begin this journey into why we do these things. And it's this. It is that our content, what we do, actually arose from our worship. Our content, what we do, together alone, here, there, arose from worship, from our worship. The praying, the singing, the communion, the baptism, the giving, the serving, all arose from the primary place of seeing and worshiping, understanding the encounter, the God event. And from all of this comes everything else. Yes, even the Bible. We have a high regard for the Bible in our tradition. In our church statement of faith, we say that it is the supreme and final authority in faith in life. We take it really seriously. We believe that it is something that's important for us, that God loved us so much that he didn't leave us all to our own devices, but gave us a revelation in written form, inspired through all kinds of people. It's a thoroughly human document. It's full of humanity, but God uses this. But it came from worship. The Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt. They were redeemed from slavery, and therefore they wrote accounts of this and songs of praise in response to this, and they ordered their lives around the concept of liberation and freedom and being a peculiar people who were called by different standards and a different way of life, a particular way that would cause people to see something remarkable and different in their lives. The writings, the prophets, the Psalms, they arose from the sense of gratitude and worship to God for their liberation. Jesus liberated the world from sin and his earliest followers responded with worship and testimony as they worshiped, declaring that he is the one who came and lived and taught and died and rose again and is returning again, the one who sets us free. And from that worship, arises everything that they do to remember, to share, to celebrate, to make concrete with their lives this great story of redemption. So everything that we do must therefore align with, recognize, protect, promote, and, and, and cause participation in the story of redemption. This is what we are here for. When we gather, we pray, we sing, we teach, we preach, we give, we take communion, we baptize. It arises from and it is informed and it is guided by worship. Because here's the bottom line. God initiates and we respond. God initiates and we respond. 
And that is worship. So this morning, we're going to take the very first one of our questions. Why do we gather? Why do we gather? Can I ask you guys to participate and share a little bit? Is anyone want to say, give me a short phrase or sentence about why you gather? Um, you know, we can say specifically here on a Sunday morning, but I mean, it can be any time with when there's a sense of fellowship. Anyone want to be brave? Yes, Gina, first at the gate. Okay, we're two or more gathered. He is here among us. Be faithful and let your light break through the storm. Okay, anyone else? Oh, yes, it's coming, it's happening. Let's just do the rest of the time with this. This is much preferable to me. Good gathering really takes us out of the world and brings us into the, the spirit of God for brothers and sisters in Christ. Great. Yeah, some people say there, there's things sort of thin, a thin place. It feels like we're kind of closer to, you know, it's powerful. Barb. We also gathered to have fun like at the pool yesterday and get to know each other better. That's cool. That doesn't sound very religious, Barb. What are you doing? Right, yeah, we gather just for, for enjoyment, for pleasure, for... We need each other. We gather to encourage one another. Boom. What do young people do now when someone says something, they click like this, right? Jessica, you guys? I don't know. I, was that last year? I don't know. I'm trying to keep up. Anyone else? Scott. Yeah, some of us have that problem that we're always in our own head. It gets us out of our own head. That's good. I actually asked the staff this week about um, what they thought to our staff meeting, and there was a whole bunch of things. Some of them were similar. Um, talking about to celebrate, uh, to be led in worship, because sometimes we don't, you know, we, we don't engage, so there's a sense of being led into. Uh, it's family, but it's like family, relationships, escape from normal life with all its struggles. To be taught, to find connection, to make friendships, uh, to be together, do not be alone, and a sense of network. You know, um, we believe that our gathering is very, very important and vital and central to our well-being for many, many, many reasons. We have a text that I, uh, I would like us to have think about today, and we identify with this so strongly that we have got it on our wall, on our new banner over there. That's what we're going to talk about. It was written by John, who was one of the original 12 guys who followed Jesus around. There were many, many disciples, but these seem to be the ones that were kind of singled out for ridicule about how dumb they were. They didn't get it, right? You know? I'd rather be one of the nameless ones where you go, maybe they got it. But, you know, but John was a cool guy, and he, he, he lived a long time, actually. The tradition says he lived longer than any of the other apostles, and he died in exile after having this vision, which is the book of Revelation. And he writes this, and this is a, a minor paraphrase of it, but it's, it is the guts of the text. You can check it out. It's actually 1 John 1, 3, and 4. Um, and it says this, We share with you what we have seen and heard, so that you also might have fellowship with us and with God in Christ, and together make our joy complete. 1 John 
chapter one. We share with you what we have seen and heard. And I think this is a key reason why we ever gather, whether it's in here, whether it's in the garden, whether it's on a walk or a bike ride, whatever. We do it to testify to God in our midst, to testify that God is here in our midst and has been and will be past, present, future, the presence of God. We testify to that. I've got a couple of examples from the New Testament. Uh, one is what a couple of you have said about courage and arts that encourage one another. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that we do not, you know, do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Therefore, can we read it? Encourage one another with these words. We gather so we can encourage one another with these words. Second, First Thessalonians, again, chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes to a letter to this church. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Sharing the gospel, the good news. So we share with you what we have seen and heard. So I have a question, a couple of questions. What have you seen? What have you heard of God in our midst? The question, next, that's the question, am I paying attention? Am I expectant that I will see and that I will hear something that I can share with somebody else? And the second thing is this question. Am I teachable? Am I teachable? It's all wonderful if there are people who are sharing, seeing and sharing what they have seen and heard and then sharing, but then I'm not teachable. I am not porous to the testimony of what they've seen and heard about God. Really important to be curious about what you can learn from others, what they have seen and heard. What have you learned from others? And I think sometimes in the context of a church, what if, what of others who are so unlike you in so many ways, what have they seen and heard? That might be the most valuable thing, person or source you could learn things about God from sometimes. What have you seen? What have you heard? Uh, am I paying attention? Am I curious? to what God is doing, and am I teachable? The second thing has a so that you in the middle of it. This is what we're leading to, what we hope to see happen through testifying to God in our midst. And we share with you what we've seen and heard, so that you also might have fellowship with us and with God in Christ. And this is the way I'm putting this part. We gather to embrace the reality of our human condition, both the potential of who humans are and also the need, the deep, deep, deep need that humans have, whether they're aware of it or not. And it's this horizontal uh, and horizontal and vertical of who God says we are. He said it's not good for us to be alone. And he also says that we need him. We gather 
so that we might have fellowship. And I love that it starts off, I mean, really, John's talking about, you know, the smaller group who are sharing what they have seen and they have heard, so that you also, and that you is, does not have any kind of qualification attached to it, it's whoever, whomever, might also have fellowship, not only with us, but with God in Christ. So we embrace the reality of our human condition when we gather and we need this, even if we don't currently think that we do. And we want this, even if we don't currently think that we do. And the third thing is this. We share with you what we've seen and heard so that you also might have fellowship with us and with God in Christ. And together, make our joy complete. You know, it's interesting in this passage, like a lot of the New Testament, there's these little passages where you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian idea about God, the three in one, that God is both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit while still remaining one God. And this question, we've got with God in Christ, but where is the Holy Spirit? And I was pondering this for a bit because there was something niggling me in the back of my brain, as often happens, and I realized that joy is in here. Joy. The Holy Spirit shows up in us and there's something indescribable that comes from this, this sharing, this seeing, this hearing, this gathering and joy is the result regardless of our circumstances. So I was thinking about joy and what it means particularly for this Christian story of the good news of Christ's coming and the very first thing the angels said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Something has happened. We share what we have seen and we've heard and what we're expectantly telling you. And it's going to bring great joy to all the people. This is what God brings at the very beginning. And Job is this reference to the creation. When Job's getting all like upset about He's, he's standing, making judgment on God. How dare you do these things? And God kind of calls him out and says, hey, Job, let's talk a little minute. Where were you when I created the world? And he says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? When God initiates something, when the spirit moves, we can encounter joy. We can't control it. We can't manufacture it. We can't create it. It is a beautiful byproduct of lives lived in faithfulness according to the reality of our human condition that we do need God and we do need all the others. We share with you what we have seen and heard so you also might have fellowship with us and with God in Christ and together make our joy complete. I just got back late last night Ooh, from Seattle. I'm getting too old for travel. Um, but Chris and I, Chris, here's Chris over there. Chris is our chairman of our elder board, and uh, through a wonderful series of events, I met some people who care very much about being a church in a community uh, and being outside the walls and, 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 and doing this work. And there's a group called the Parish Collective. Uh, and someone has said, uh, this guy's name's Chris, he lives down in Julian, he said, Grant, if you go to it, I'll go too. So I bought my ticket, like a, a good, you know, kind of excited, and he said, well, I can't go. But actually, before then, I thought it would be great if Chris could go, because I, I think, you know, because you, there's gathering, right? If I go by myself, I see and I hear, and I come back, and everyone thinks I'm madder 
than when I left, like more crazy and, you know, foolish and reckless than when I left. But if I take Chris, who everyone trusts and thinks he's a really solid guy, and the two of us together see and hear and we come back and testify to you that there is a common movement in the church that God is bringing, which we have been tapping into, and there are many other people who believe similarly about how we are planted in our community and, and, and we make the walls thin, right? And we, we give away our stuff, you know, and share. And this is this whole concept of joy. And the Parish Collective, here's their slogan. They say they are connecting people to be the church in the neighborhood. To be the church in the neighborhood. Then it says, when we organize the church around God's dreams, and that's kind of a, you know, a catchy way of saying, but really it's about, what would God's dreams be? It's like, God's intention for human flourishing, for the kingdom. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Not fully. We're never going to see there's always going to be problems and, and things. But they say, if we organize a church around God's dreams for our neighborhoods, like we've said, where are you working, God? Let me join you there and participate in your work. Then there's nothing in the world that cannot be healed, transformed, and liberated. And they talked about this thing. It's public joy that we're promoting the sense of public joy. And it just so fit with what I was thinking about that making our joy complete is a sense that it's the sharing, it's the connecting, it's the welcoming in that, it, that increases this spiritual sense of joy in our midst. It's not an individual joy. It's not a narcissistic, selfish joy. It is a joy that is collective and is maximized the more we are embracing the people around us and sharing what we have seen and heard and inviting them to have fellowship with us and with God and Christ and together make our joy complete. And it's never complete, complete, right? But I mean, how much joy do you need for it to feel complete in a way, you know? We misunderstand and think, well, if I'm happy, I'm joyful. But there's a joy that surpasses happiness and circumstances. And it is a gift of God that we really can only have as we share it together. So we're going to go to communion in a little bit. But I, was, I want to share, to sum this all up, hopefully, potentially, is this, that we gather and, and I was thinking about the word gather. And maybe you know by now, I know a lot of you are the same as me. I love words. And I love what words mean. I love the fact the English language is really frustrating for people trying to learn the English language. But if you have some uh, love for that, the range of meanings of certain words, the nuance of meaning, can sometimes be quite beautiful. And so I'm going to share some holy definitions of gather. Because I was actually on the plane, I had to pay eight bucks to get Wi-Fi to write on my sermon last night, but I was, something about being at 15,000 feet that really helps you to think about ultimate realities, you know? Um, but I was thinking, and so I was looking up definitions, and I was like, this is crazy. This is a word that we want to think about a lot, gather, okay? So gather means several things, to bring together, to come together in a body, so, so there's a sense of purpose to bring together. There's a sense of just, I'm bringing myself. I'm, I'm gathering with others. There's to pick up or amass as if by harvesting. Isn't that a resonant gospel kingdom word? Harvesting. That we are, 
we plant, we sow, we water, we, we're, there's a sense of growth. To scoop up or take from a resting place. And I love that concept. It reminds me of the Samaritan who picked up this bleeding, broken man by the side of the road. He gathered him up and he took him to a place of refuge and extravagantly cared for his needs. To serve as an attraction for something gathers and we hope that's Jesus that is the attraction as people see Christ in us. And then this final one, to reach a conclusion, often intuitively from hints or through inferences. So, hey, I, I gather that you're unhappy with me or I gather that you are understanding more about who you are in Christ. I think these are really resonant to ponder and think about the range of purposes and outcomes of this concept to gather. We share with you what we have seen and heard. What have we seen? What have we heard? Who are we sharing it with? Are we paying attention? Are we teachable? So that you also might have fellowship with us. That is the welcome. God initiates and we respond. And we trust that people will respond. And together make our joy complete. We're going to have communion as a, as a way of responding to this, which is very much a gathered experience of seeing, hearing, remembering of fellowship with God, with one another as we recognize this body of Christ and the body that was given for us and of joy to recognize my sins have been cast away. I am forgiven and I come just as I am. I am spotless before Christ because of his amazing grace. That's why I get up in the morning with courage to live, to take chances because we are loved, we are forgiven, we are welcome. And he has done it and he is doing it. So we're going to do it this way this morning. First, if Scott Martinez would like to come and get this basket, because we're going to ask you to come forward, but if anyone would like to take it where they're seated, that is great, and Scott will bring you a little chalice cup. Uh, I'm going to invite Josh to come down, and he and I are going to serve communion. We're going to take a little bit of time this morning uh, in this gathering. Uh, if this really is a chance to say, you know, feel free not to take this this morning, because we also take, as we're going to find out in a few weeks, we take this very seriously. This is my human way of expressing I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to know you. I want to grow. I want to take up my cross and follow you. So this is, I come. That's why we come to receive, because it's given to us. God initiates and I receive it. The body, the blood, the forgiveness.